This podcast contains adult language. DigitalDaron.com. Today is March 17th, 2021. And to all our faithful listeners, you know we've been doing the Darren Watches the Wire series. So we did Darren Watches the Wire season one through five. We did a season zero about why I'm watching why I'm watching the wire. And we did some Patreon goodies. We did the top spin-offs we would like to see from the wire. And this is another Patreon goodie. And this is the Wire Awards. So just the last podcast to milk the wire, and this will be our final wire-based podcast. And, you know, we seen, I finally seen the wire in 2020. Now we're going to give awards. And so what we're going to do is have a bevy of awards. We're going to talk about the sh- some show awards and some character awards. And as always, I got first lady with me. So I don't know if I'm, I'm adequately prepared because you didn't tell me the reward or the award categories to be able to prepare for this. So this is going to be off the sh- straight off the top. Well, these will make the most fun podcast. I, I like to be prepared in life, but hey, I'll roll with you. And so this is starting off as a Patreon podcast. So first, thank you to all our Patreon listeners. Can you say thank you to the Patreon listeners? Of course. I'm so glad they support you. <laughs> support us, right? Well, I'm new to this. It's really a digital, it's the digital Jaren show. So it's really a support of you, but by extension, I'm part of that. Exactly. So thank you guys for your support. And this is another reason to be a Patreon person. You, As you guys know, we do giveaways. We have exclusive content. So it's a good time on the Patreon. You get to know the real digital Darren, the real people on the show. You get the behind the scenes access. So without further ado, we've talked about The Wire. And so... We're going to ease into the awards, but what did you think of us doing the Wire series? Did you enjoy it? Oh, yeah. Definitely. The podcast. Yes, I definitely enjoyed it. It's one, like I said many times, it's one of my all-time favorite shows. So I'm glad that we got to experience it together. So you've been, you've listened to another podcast that talks about the Wire. How does it compare to this? How does our podcast compare to theirs? Well, theirs is very thorough. Um, it's called, uh, it's from the... The title song. It's Jamel Hill and Van. Yeah. Um, it's something to watch. Uh, now you got me confused. I gotta look it up. It is called The Wire. Way Down in the Hole. That's what I was trying to think of. Um, from the theme song of The Wire. And they went episode by episode. So it was pretty much a whole... Yeah, we just did season kind of like. Yeah, theirs was real legit and thorough. I really appreciated it. I like listening to it. I rewatched The Wire and I listened to every episode of theirs. Okay. How many episodes of ours have you listened to? Of our podcast? Yeah. (laughs) Of our wire podcast. I I didn't know I was supposed to listen to myself. That seems a little narcissistic. Just asking. But that is the first category. Thank you for walking into that. What was your favorite? Wire theme song season because for everybody who doesn't know, the Wire does the same song differently every year, every se- every season. So, what season was your favorite? So, my favorite theme song would be the theme song of season four. I don't know who sings it, but it has a female lead. When you walk. I'm not going to talk about which one of the seasons is my favorite yet, but it could be the one that I like the theme song of. But I, for real, for real, I like all the the theme songs because each theme song just reminds me of that season. And every time I hear each one of them, I'm like, oh, yeah. And I've been like the little build up to it, like where they have the little sound of the the, um, wiretap and the little, like the computer sounds. I even like that. So I think that the season four to me theme song sounded like girls in the bathroom singing. Well, you're a hater. So. No, no, I'm just, I'm not saying. I'm saying that was kind of representative of the show, right? So, like, one of the things about the show that it did such a good job of is kind of like 
like every part of it was kind of gritty, gritty Baltimore, like from the actors who weren't, you know what I'm saying? Like really real actors for the most part. Like, like you, you got a real feeling for me. So I, I, I think that song kind of really encompassed it. My favorite season song is season five. I think that the blues sound and the fact that it was done by one of the cast members. That's pretty cool. I will admit that. The guy who was Bubbles, what do they call him? His sponsor. sponsor. Yeah, his mm-hmm. sponsor. I think that that was cool that, you know, he was able to do the song. And he had a, he had a real down-home blues feel. So, for me, for you it was season four. For me it was season five. Favorite theme songs. Yep. Okay. All right. So, next category is, what was your favorite scene? So I have a couple. Um, let's see. I'll let that go. Okay. So I have a couple of favorite scenes. I'm just gonna pick my top three, if that's okay with you. That's right. So one of my favorite scenes is it three, two, one, in no particular order? Or how's yes, it? I'm gonna do three, two, one. Okay. You've taught me this, you know, anticipation. So my number three scene would be between two of the most iconic characters, which is Avon Barksdale and Stringer Bell. When they were on top of the roof um, in season three, and they were reminiscing about them coming up in Baltimore, and this was after Avon had gotten out of jail and Stringer had gotten them this like dope little um, downtown condo, and they were on the rooftop and they were just talking about how they were come, you know, when they came up, they basically, you know, wanted so much to have something like that, and now they're there, and at this point. Both of them had decided, had already made up their minds that they were going to go against each other. So they, for Stringer Bell, he was basically going to turn um, Avon in to the cops so he would violate parole and go back to jail. And then for Avon, he was basically going to let Stringer get killed by Brother Mozone. So they both had basically given up each other and turned their backs on each other. But it was just a moment of like reminiscing and like both of them knew what was coming to the other. So it was like real deep and real profound. So my number two is also between Stringer Bell and Avon. Same season. And it was when they got into their little scuffle. And Avon was like, you know, it's the difference between me and you. He was like, I bleed red, you bleed green, basically. And he was telling him, like, basically how um, Stringer had gotten took by Clay Davis. And he basically was like, you know, they, they saw a dumb mother- street motherfucker coming up. Like, you you were stupid to think that you were anything more than this. And he called him a man without a country. And that was real good. That was real deep. And then my favorite, favorite, favorite scene, which I think is super iconic of The Wire in general, is actually the opening scene, really, of The Wire, where Bodie and Wallace are learning how to play chess from D'Angelo. And he's explaining to him like... Using dope things. Yeah, but he was explaining chess and using the dope analogies to explain what the pawn was, you know, for corner boys, what the queen was. And Bodie and Wallace were asking questions, you know, about, you know, basically how pawns can move. Can a pawn become more? And um, D'Angelo was telling them like, no, like they're kind of stuck in that role. And you could see Bodie's, like, wheels turning, and he was like, nah, like, you know, basically he felt like if you do your good job that you're going to move up and get to be something else. And D'Angelo was telling him the whole game right then and there. Like, that whole scene told the rest of the show. Like, you're going to have the pawns who are protecting the queens and the king who would be, like, Marlo and Avon and blah, blah, blah. And the pawns ultimately were Bodie, Wallace, other people who got killed. And it was the very first scene in the first season. Okay, so... I said, since you did three, I'm going to do three, my three favorite scenes. So my third one is one you said, I think it was such an iconic scene when they're at the pier and they're basically reminiscing and they talk about the story where they ran, stole something and ran and how, you know, they were booking. Like you said, they both know that it was the end for the other one or whatever, like how it was the end. And the end of their friendship. And the end of their friendship. And, you know, that was such an iconic scene, right? You know what I'm saying? And I, and, you know, I thought that that kind of captured where they were. And kind of how, like, they kind of saw the world in different ways or whatever. Like, they grew apart from each other. Like that. I think it's very interesting, though, that Stringer was just setting up Avon to go back to jail. And Avon was setting him up to die. That's drastically different consequences. Yeah. 
I think that, but I think that that's, I think that Avon, I think the principles were different. I think that Avon did it because he knew Springer, he did it to him. Because remember, when they came and told him, you know. He had no, Avon had no idea Stringer had set him up. No, the Muslim came and told him, he was like, this is, your word is your word. And because your word failed, because your word was told to me by this man and it failed, there's the problem. And that's when he. But he didn't know, he didn't know Stringer had told Bunny about him to be set up. I think he kind of anticipated, like once he saw, if the Muslim come back to me, then Stringer, you know, so I think he kind of saw that. I disagree. I don't think he saw that writing on the wall at all. I think he thought Stringer was too, their strategies were too different. He wanted to be in the streets and Stringer wanted to do more, but I don't think he thought I don't think he thought his wildest dream stringer would sell him out. So you thought in that conversation they didn't think that neither one no, of them thought that. I think they both thought individually they were the guilty party. Okay. I, I disagree. I think that they both knew that like this was the end. And like the end may have meant different things for each one of them, right? Because like the other one knew. But I think they thought it was the end based off of their own decision making, not the decisions of each not the decisions oh, the of other. the other. Okay. That's the thing. So that was my number three. My number two, I really don't know how to explain this as a scene, but it was actually when McNulty was on the pier and he did all this kind of stuff to put the onus back on Baltimore PD so where they had to take those cases oh, or whatever in season two. Like, I thought that was such a... You mean like where he went and looked at the current? Yeah, where like he, he... He was being petty as shit? Yeah, being McNulty, right? Like being petty as shit just to screw up, just to prove he's smarter he than... He pulled out with them things called using geography. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the maps and stuff like that. Yeah, like, like this like half a moon thing? Yeah, he did all that just to show, like, just to show up on Raw's... What is that thing called? I've been triggered number thing. I forgot what though. But he used that and that was such a telling part of Minotis character. And so like for him to do that, I thought it was kind of amazing or whatever. I thought that was such a such a good way. You know, such kind of a indicative of who his character was. And my number one, you may hate me for this, because I know that this involves your favorite of all time. The guy who you wish you could have married, Stringer Bill. Is when Omar Super Muslim got to him and killed him. It was a team of the greatest hood guys of all time. You see how your voice goes up several octaves? It's like, not even that they got guys, strangers. You got so excited when that happened. Literally, you called Brother Muzon Super Muslim, which I think is hilarious. And he was a bad motherfucker. I wish they had more. He had more of a storyline. Like he couldn't do a spinoff, but they could have did a webinar, a web series oh, on yeah. him, a web series on. You can host one. I would. <laughs> like, hey, just show how he built up his reputation or whatever. So, like, but I think that that scene, Stringer had become bigger than that show, honestly. You know what I'm saying? Bigger than The Wire as a character. So, a interesting you should say that is because on the other podcast I was listening to, they actually discussed the reason they killed Stringer was because they, the reason they killed, like, wrote his storyline like that is because they felt the show was becoming too centered around Stringer. And it was supposed to be a multi-cast, ensemble, different storylines. It had become too Stringer Bell focused. It did. I mean, it, he, he became bigger than the show. For better or worse or whatever, right? I mean, everybody knows that's a household name, Stringer Bell. Yeah. But, again, I knew, so before this. Stringer Bell or Nino Brown. Not that he not that tall, but before this, like I had read, believe it or not, I is a dude I follow, a podcaster who I follow, who he loved Dwight. Like he had been talking about since two thousand seven. He always said it was the greatest show of all time, and so he always was talking about Avon and Stringer. He would use he was a sports announcer, so he used them in his sports analogies or whatever. I never thought to listen to it, but like seeing the show now, it was much more of a Stringer show, and kind of Avon was Avon with the cilantro to the pico. With stringer with the tomatoes, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I've never heard that used as an analogy, but I get it. Yes. And I love Pico. So, Shout out to the Pico you made for dinner tonight. There we go. So exactly right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like for me, that was the most iconic scene because he was bigger than the show. And this was before I mean that so watching it live, like you know, when this was actually happening, when that happened, it was like a uh, disbelief because shows did not have the main character get killed. Just get killed. Early. It wasn't time of Game of Thrones where shit was, red weddings were happening. That was like what the, you never thought that would happen. Yeah. So. And for him to go out like that. Yeah. But I think Sugar Bell's character overall, I know it became larger than life, but it was such a unique to me character because it was someone who really tried to evolve and become something else. 
in all aspects and to be tied to someone, your main partner in crime, best friend or any relationship, it could happen with your spouse, best friend, anything that's a tight relationship for you to completely go and diverge and want two different paths. Like when they got into that fight I was talking about and he called him with a man without a country, it was like they fundamentally disagreed on the core principles and strategies that they wanted to live by. And Avon, similar to Marlo, wanted to be in the streets. Like, it wasn't just about money to him. Like, he grew up in that. My name is my name, essentially. It wasn't necessarily the pride and the ego that Marlo had, but it was just like... The the family business. Yeah, the game is the game, and I want to be a part of it. Where Stringer just saw it as a means to the end. And he was like, you know, once I have the the means and I got to this, then I'm going to use this for something else. So I'll say this, and this is going to sound real cliche. What Stringer does is what most people do in the streets. Only they use rap instead of real estate, right? So, like, a lot of dope boys get money, get money. Whatever. And then well, who the hell just want to live in the game the whole time knowing that you have two possibilities, which are death or prison? Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying most... The the, the great thing about Stringer was that, instead, like, it's so easy for him to be like, hey, I'm going to start this label. Like, in the real world, he just starts a label and tries to make it with rappers, right? Now, my man went to community college. He went to school. Shout out to Baltimore <laughs> Community College. They were so shocked when they seen him pull up in their school and went to class. Like, huh? Man, no time about macroeconomics. Yeah, and so he tried, to, he, tried to, he tried to do that, right? And I think one of the most iconic, not scenes, but iconic scenes was basically when he talked about them, when he was like, we're not selling dope no more. We gave up the houses, but we made more profit. And he said... Yeah, we gave up the towers. He, basically, when he talked, he was using macroeconomics to teach them. He was like, it's not about the blocks no more. We gave up, you know, we gave up this to get that or whatever. And like, we made more money. He was like, and if you think about it, he was like, fighting over corners is what bring bodies and bodies bring the police. And we don't need, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, nobody's no police. We all make money. And he talked the whole, he had them doing like board of meetings. Second, I need to second this. He had them all together. He was teaching them all motions and different things. Um, I mean, I, I'm a big sugar. And then fast forward when him and Prop Joe did the, um, where they met at the hotel, the co-op. the co-op, when they did the co-op and met at the hotel, they, Prop Joe thought like that too, or whatever, you know what I'm saying? So like, it's kind of one of them things where it's like, but Prop Joe was only using his knowledge to further help him in the game where Stringer 100% wanted to get out of the game. Exactly. But, because he knew what was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, Stringer could see the writing on the wall, right? Like, And I do think it's one of them things where, like, when they got Avon, like, basically when they got everybody but him, I think it was like, I need to figure out how to get the fuck out. But the interesting part about Stringer and why I can so relate to him is how many, looking at him from the outside, you realize... You got too big for your britches and thought you could be more than what you were. And he tried to roll with the big dogs and the Clay Davises. And how many times have you personally felt confident in the little arena you're in? And you know what I mean? Like you're, you're the good high school basketball player. You think that you can be pro and then you go play a game with the pros and they shut your ass right down. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and that's what happened to him. And I think that's a common story of people who, who think, like, hey, I, I, can, I can be this. I'm not saying you can't be that, but you really get slapped in the face really hard and realize, nah, bitch. I think that that's one of the good things about social media is that it is that whole, hey, you at least try. Like, if you fail, at least you try. Because, like, a lot of times pre-social media, I don't think most people got that I tried and I failed story. Like, I think we all assumed that millionaires, their first idea was the best idea they ever had and made them a million. You know, whatever, right? Or successful people are always successful. And it takes things like social media, kind of these micro kind of interactions to realize, no, everything I did wasn't a success. I did have to try and fail. Blase this, blase that. And I yeah, think. You all the stuff like Amazon started in a garage or Apple. You would never know that, garage, right? Like, yeah. like in the 95, you would think Amazon was just this big corporation that the day they started, they started making money or whatever, right? You know what I'm saying? I think that. For Springer to do that was... How many did you call him Stringer? Stringer. I said Stringer. him Springer. For Stringer, I've been saying Stringer. But for Stringer to do that was commendable. Again, you know, Avon was like, ah, look at you. You ain't smart enough. You know what I'm saying? Just because... Well, how many times would you feel that way? I'm sure some people up in your crew, y'all grew up in the same neighborhood, same everything. And a couple of y'all now think you're too hot to trot and look down on other people. And that's Avon was like, hold up, cuz. 
Like, especially with someone who came from a different background. So someone who didn't grow up in your neighborhood, who came from money and wealth. and Somebody you look at is weak work joys. Yeah. And he's like, ha ha, you thought you could roll with the big boys and the big boys shut you down. Looks like you need to come back here to our level because you thought you were better than me. You thought you were better, but it took someone else to humble you. (laughs) Yeah. So that was it. So now we are getting to the seasons. What was the worst season? I refrain from saying that there was. What was your least favorite season? Because I think they all tell an important storyline. What was your least favorite season? Um. So by default, it's season two or season five, and that's just because the process of elimination. Four is my favorite. One and three are really good, and so that leaves two and five. Five, you get some of my favorite people, and it's a wrap-up, so five probably has a slight edge, but it's between two and five. And I really like, still like two, and I like five. It's just in comparison to one, three, and four. But to me, I mean, to me, four four is the best. Which one is the worst? Listen, I can, you know. Which one's your least favorite? Two or five. Pick one. Probably two. Okay, so my least favorite, and again, it kind of goes down to those two things. You those two seasons, seasons two and season five. But when you're doing that, I want to play a game of elimination, and I pick which one is my least favorite. I think the season two was much better written than season five. I think it was way yeah. more intricate. Like all the pieces made since I fit together. The only thing about five is that you get that wrap up on your people, so you're like hot. Like it gives you something to hold on to. My favorite thing about season, so like season two was way more intricate written, so I could appreciate how well written it was. Mm-hmm. Season five, it was Omar back on the streets looking for Marlo. Like that really was the season Gus to season five. Like I like Gus, and like you know Gus is one of those, one of my, he's one of my underrated, low key favorite characters mm-hmm. on the underrated side. But like they made Noel Ten Lister run around her creating crimes and stuff like that. That wasn't as interesting to me. Yeah, I'd agree. So, like, the only redeeming grace about that is the Omar versus Marlowe storyline, which, you know, they never got to see each other in the streets, right? You know what I'm saying? But, like, and I will say that, too. That's honorable mention, one of my favorite scenes, too. And basically, it follows the ring, right? Like, the police officer had the ring. Michael took the ring from the police officer. Mm-hmm. Marlowe got the ring from... You know, Marlo had got the ring. Michael gave Marlo the ring. Omar robbed Marlo for the ring. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was like just how that whole ring process followed. That whole ring, how it followed everybody. I think that scene, it wasn't one scene. It was kind of a con- a conglomeration of scenes or a compilation of scenes. But that was just interesting to or whatever. Just how stuff worked in that world, right? Mm-hmm. But spending it back to my least favorite season. I would have to say it was season five. Just because I don't think it was really well written. It was... It wasn't as well written. So, like, even though season two wasn't about the hood and the dope part, it was way more intricate and the parts fit really. All the parts fit together better or whatever. And, like, even how they kind of brought Prop Joe in a little bit into it and stuff like that. Like, it didn't need to be hood, but I, I can understand why season one was such hood, why you would be like, what the fuck is happening, right? Like, it's just like somebody giving you, you know, chocolate ice cream every day and then switching to strawberry ice cream right you know what i'm saying like it was so different than what you're used to so i can see why people didn't like it but i think if you're just looking at terms of like which one would for me which one was more interesting it was definitely season two so season five was my least favorite season okay best season season four does it for me um Cause my favorite storyline are the boys, um, and that's so much focused on them. After that, I would go with probably season three, followed by one, then five, then two. So season three is my favorite season. Cause I think that's when you get. So season three is my favorite. I think that's when you get the why you're full on. Like they know what they're doing in the writing and the directing. They establish who the characters are, who the players of the game are, kind of sort of. Season five is my favorite or whatever. I mean, Avon gets out, you know, Omar's Omar, super Muslim, you know, Stringer's moving and wheeling and dealing and everything. So, like, I think that, to your point, season three is my favorite. Season one is my next favorite. So, because then season four, then season two, then season five. 
Okay. So, but again, I think season the difference between season three and season one to me is that season one they were trying to figure out their way, and season three they kind of knew established, it's yeah. established, so they could do more with it. So that's why it's my favorite. Okay. All right. So now we're gonna get to a little fun. We're gonna have just like NBA have all NBA teams, and you have an All Star team where you list your top five, more than five good characters. So we're gonna say you get five and a bench person, so you get six. Okay. You want me to go first? Yeah. We're going to go back and forth. We're going to say, we're going to start from the bottom to the oh, top. Oh, so like, are we drafting? No, <laughs> no. Nah, nah, we both can say the same person. Just like, I'm just so like, who's your bench person? My bench person is going to be Chris Partlow. Okay. I think he's solid. Um, he's always dependable. He wasn't just straight muscle. Um, although Weebae is also one of my favorite characters. Weebae was more muscle and comic relief. Chris really was like Marlo's right hand man, not just the muscle. And I like that he had the sensitive side when he took up for Michael and handled his dad, our stepdad. You could tell that he could relate to that and protecting innocence in a child. So, do you want me to do mine? You want to keep doing yours? No, we said we go back and forth. So, who's your sixth man? Clay Davis. <laughs> She. <laughs> he's such a legendary person, and he he pops on the scene and, and just he's whatever scene he's in, he steals the scene and gets the hell on he or whatever. Does. So he's my bench person. Okay, I, he's solid. Like, and he gives you a, like he he rounds it out because not too many people are going to have politicians on there. At least I'm not my top five. Oh, go ahead. Okay, um, my next person is going to be Omar. He'll be in my starting five lineup. I mean, Omar is literally one of the most iconic players in the wire. And if I had to pick a couple of scenes that would be like top rated, I know they didn't make my top three, but Omar in the courtroom, when he just puts the tie around and is dressed like normal and talks to um, the, the lawyer Levy about how they have the same job. Basically, he just has the briefcase and Omar has the shotgun. Omar is classic, like in every way, shape, or the form. And he's principled and he's caring and he just he also is a thug. Like he literally walks down the street in a satin silk, you know, bath a robe and gets fruity pebbles or whatever the hell that cereal Newports. is. <laughs> and Newports. He's just a man. A Michael K. And I'm also a Michael K. Williams fan, the actor that plays him because of that. Like he's a bad motherfucker. <laughs> so who you got? Who's your, your Chris Parlo? Okay, my man got off the bench on your squad. Hey, man, he start, he start. Chris Paulo start. All the things you said. Chris was a silent assassin. He had the most bodies on the show, like. But he was one of them people who like, like you said, he cared, right? Like his whole relationship with Michael was such an endearing thing, like, and it's such a thing that I think we all can relate to, where it's like. Somebody may care for you who you may who may not. Sh- I'm not gonna say they should care for you. Who like your parents or somebody may not want you to be around, but they genuinely care for you, right? You know what I'm saying? And so, like, I think that, like you said, the fact that he wanted he saw something in Michael. Michael didn't see in himself or whatever. And you know, even though it wasn't the best thing, he helped make Michael a more mature person. I don't want to say a better person, but he helped make Michael more principled, if you will, or whatever. I think that I think that that, and I think that Chris, like you said. He did in his role. He didn't tell. He took Snoop on this one. Like PB cared for, he cared for, and I think that that was one thing that you could say about all the organizations. Kind of the people they cared for, they cared for whatever. Like inside those organizations or whatever. So Chris Paulo is my number five. All right, my number four is going to be Bodie, and Bodie is someone who was just you know a lookout boy in the beginning, and worked his way up. Um, he was dedicated, you know, all to the Avon Barksdale organization. It wasn't until he got on Marlowe's, you know, not by his choice that things decided to go south. But he's just one of those people who's going to be dedicated and who's going to put in work and gets better. He didn't, you know, didn't start out like some of these people just being, you know, top notch players. He's someone who had to work at the craft. He would stay late after practice and do all that good stuff because he really wanted he wanted to be a part of it. Okay. My number four is McNulty. 
in this world where it's kind of good guy, bad guy, even though it's not really good guy, bad guy, you need police to sprint. You need Matt Norton to keep this story going because most police would have been like the two old guys who were just collecting checks or the like, drunk. yeah, the drunks just collecting checks of Bonk who were just, you know, trying to solve cases and once a case. Bonk is, uh, don't come for Bunk like that because I'd rather have Bunk on my squad. No, no, no. Bunk was better, but I'm saying Bunk was a body book guy. Like, if it didn't clear, it didn't clear or whatever. Like, after, if it was. He wasn't that by the book. He just wasn't as with the bullshit that. McCoy he wasn't going to do everything yeah. to get the to get the thing. So, I said, mm. a lot of this show revolves. A lot of this show moves forward because minority is minority. Yes, I would agree with you there. So, that's my number four. But he's the person that's going to, like, Talk about the coaching and how everyone else sucks at the press conference. Like I don't, he gonna throw everybody under the I bus. Don't want, I don't know if I want McNulty on my squad. Yeah, but McNulty is one of them people who's gonna do his. He's just gonna agitate everybody. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> number three for you. My number three is gonna be Stringer Bell. That's pretty low for your guy. That's that's gonna be my he's my number three. Okay. So like, I look at it like he's my center. Like, that's how I look at it. He is pivotal, pivotal, not the word, pivotal to the whole wire, whole entire series. He develops and changes, some for good, some for bad. He's just, it's, it's Stringer Bell. Like, he's iconic. He is like, you could say, so I'm trying to think of somebody who it would be. Because my squad, I'm not trying to build up of all Michael Jordans. But I'm trying to have a squad of, trying to think of who he would be in a game. Hmm. Like James Harden, if you will. Okay. That's my third. My third is going to be Omar. Okay. I think Omar is using the basketball analogy. He's the Steph Curry. Your only job is to shoot. <laughs> like, literally, have, like, both ways or whatever, right? Like, you don't have to play defense. You don't have to do nothing else. You got to be a hell of a shooter. When you get the ball, you shoot it. Omar, when he got the ball, he shot it in the show and on that. I think that, like you said, I really wish we would have did five iconic scenes because – that scene in the courtroom was such an Omar scene. I think that that defined everything he was, right? Because, like, before that scene, he was in there talking about how he liked Greek gods when he was in the waiting thing. Afterward, they talked about, did he, re- when they said, did you really see him shoot him? And he was like, <laughs> you know, like, you just got the full Omar experience in that courtroom or whatever. And I think that they couldn't have this show without certain people and Omar's. I'm not gonna say they couldn't have the show. This show would have been not yeah, as they good. It wouldn't have been without Omar. It wouldn't have been as good without Omar. So. I would say that about all the characters I've named so far on my squad. Though it wouldn't have been the same without Bodie. It, it just wouldn't have been. I say the same about mine. So I said and Stringer wouldn't have been the same. So for you, yours are so far Stringer, Bodie, Omar, and um, Chris on the bench. Chris on the bench. I would say the same. Like the, we both have Chris. We both have Omar. And like I got McNulty and I got um It won't be the same without McNulty, I can say that for sure. Yeah, but I think that out of all them, Chris is probably the one who's the smallest personality. That's why he's on my bench. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying like to the rest the other ones we said have been, you know, irre- irreplaceable in one way or another. So my number two is my boy Michael. Just watching him and watching all the boys go from a stage of innocence to, in Michael's case, a stone-cold killer. Started out as a young pup with big paws. And then to kill Snoop and to just be so smart to just realize and just soak up like a sponge everything they were teaching him. I would say you wouldn't, the show wouldn't be the same for me without Michael. Okay. My number two. I kind of debated was between Lester and Bunny. And I think Lester is more replaceable. So my number two is Bunny. I think that Bunny was right for the right reasons. Whereas Manoto was right for the wrong reasons. And like, mm-hmm. if if we, if this is going to be some glorified version of cops and robbers, right? Like, we just going to use this as an example. Bunny was the cop who was, Bunny was the cop who 
was the clear good guy. Whereas Minota was the guy who's like, ah, you know what I'm saying? Like you said, he'll throw you under the bus. Bun is the guy who, if you want to use basketball terms, is going to bring the team together. Hold on, we need a huddle. Hey, guys, this is what's going on. Calm down, McNulty. We don't need that right now. <laughs> Omar, you're going to be open. We're going to pass you the ball. Just make sure you hit your shot. You know, Chris Parlow, when you come off the bench, we need that great defense from you or whatever. And then, you know, just that whole kind of concept, right? You know what I'm saying? So, like, that's that's who Bunny was or whatever. I will say this, too. I think that what he did for naming. So I look at the wires, two halves, kind of first half, second half, or whatever, you know, new Testament, old Testament, if you will. (laughs) And I think that Bunny is probably the most important person from the new Testament. So he's a guy, he's a Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. He's John. (laughs) But he's Paul. Cause Paul wrote most of the new Testament. So there you go. So to me, Bunny is number two. All right. So I think you can guess who my number one is. You gotta be Avon. You ain't saying nobody else. Tonight, Avon. My number one is Bubbles. Oh, I forgot about Bubbles. <laughs> you, how could you forget about Bubbles? Bub, he, not only is he my number one, he is my MVP. He is winning all of the awards. <laughs> this show would not be what, what it was without Bubbles. Not only did he provide comic relief, he gave so much insight into the show. He's a smart, like, he literally was so smart. He was putting the, the cops on the game. He was still doing whatever he needed to do to get a couple of dollars. He was a good friend. Like, he was just everything. And to be struggling with a drug addiction and to finally have to to be able to overcome that at the end, that redemption story. Um, to me, he's, he's the best. My number one is Stringer Bill. And we just said it. He got bigger than the show. So like, if you look at it as old Testament, new Testament, he's Moses. He's Moses. He's David. He's all that. Noah, he's all those people. Elijah, all Abraham. The, Abraham, he's all those wrapped in the ones for this show. I mean, and just because, so it again, I don't have nothing against him. I troll you because I know you love him or whatever. But like, I don't love him. I love you. I like Stringer Bell. Well, you know, what everyone I mean. can have celebrities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but a lot of it is just me trolling you. But I would be, I would be lying to myself if I didn't say he created that foundation that the wire was built on. So when you think, and I, I want to say a combo, but I'm not going to put Avon in that combo, combo, com, combo, excuse me, the look. But I will say this. Whenever you think of the wire, you say the best. The only household name is Stringer Bell. Stringer motherfucking Bell. And I think it's well-deserved. I, I mean, we said it earlier. He got bigger than the show. You know what I'm saying? That's, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's definitely an MVP thing or whatever. So he's I'll my number one. dead or alive. Exactly. So that's my number one. That's what you should name this top five dead or alive. Top five dead or alive. But that'll be the name of this then. So we got three more categories. We got most improved, least variable, valuable character, most valuable character, and then we're done. Okay. So who's your most imp- who is your most improved character? Who most improved? Hmm. I would probably say. Part of me wants to say one of the boys, Naaman or Michael. Part of me wants to say Kima. And part of me wants to say Bodhi. And so I think it's really between Bodhi and Kima. Because I really do think Bodhi starting out, you know, just what he struggled with trying to, you know, kill Wallace. Just being really a lookout boy to what he eventually became. And then Kima starting out as a narcotics cop and being very green and making her way up to be a really good homicide detective and still having that integrity to tell on McNulty. To me, those two people show really great amounts of growth and character development. So which one? I'm going to stick with both of them. I'm not picking one. So a co. Yes. Most co improved. most improved. Bodhi and Kima. Okay, so I'm going to 
I'm not gonna do coals. I think that's a slip, a slick way to get hey, out of it. Hey, listen, don't come, don't start knocking at the door. So I do think that for me, when we start talking about these type of wars, it has to be multi multi season characters. Mm-hmm. So like Gus would be somebody who's kind of in this running originally, but he got to get counseled out because he's all in one in one season. Well, Kima and Bodie are in almost all. Yeah, multiple seasons. I'm saying like okay, super Muslim. Of course, you know I love me some super Muslim. He's not in them enough. So. Another one who I like, who's in, actually in a t- multiple seasons, but he gets canceled as Norman. Because I don't think it really was in the development for him. So I yeah. think that two characters that we talk, who I'm thinking of, have to have d- development. And so it's between Presbo and Prop Joe. I knew you were going to say, I knew you were going to say Prop Joe, but okay. So Presbo, because, you know, he started out from being the guy who shouldn't be a cop to kind of look. Yeah, he definitely. Like a, a career fuck up to being a teaching, just like you say, season four was your favorite season. Season four was just as much about him as it was the kids, almost or whatever. So like, not just as much, but you know what I mean. The kids were the star. He was probably, you know, the second star, the or whatever. Yeah, the pips or whatever. And I think that that was a long way for him. It definitely was. It was a long way for him. Prop Joe. I think that Prop Joe went from being. I think we learned a lot more about Prop Joe. Each season, we got further and further and further along. And as Marlowe's story developed, he developed, right? You know what I'm saying? So, like, he just went from being, when you first seen him, he was just some fat dude who, you know, was coaching the basketball team, who had Avon respect. You find out he come to see a dope, find out he's the Avon of the East Side or whatever. And you find out that, like, he's one of them people who rather strike a deal than pull a body because he knows, he knew that bodies bring problems and, like, he didn't need those problems or whatever, right? So, like, I think that for me, it has to be Prop Joe. One, because he was in every season. Two, you got more of him. So, like, season one, you may have got 1% of it or 10% of it. Season two, you got 20% more. You know, as season going, you got more and more of him. And one thing it shows you is that you can be smart. And I think that him and Stringer had this in at the same thing. You could be smart, but you can apply your smarts in different places, right? So, like, we always assume smart to be business or, you know, whatever, whatever. But Prop Joe and Stringer were both smart. They just applied it to mm-hmm. the streets. And the difference between those two is that Stringer went to get, you know, book. he tried to blend book learning with, like, street stuff, mm-hmm. whereas Prop Joe just used street stuff in his experience or whatever. Gotcha. So, Prop Joe is my most improved. Okay. Least valuable character. Oh, least valuable. Why don't you go with yours first? Kima. Oh, shoot. You said that quick. It's just because she's a female and you're a No, no, no. So, me and you, when we looked at that and they, you know, they did the scene where they were going to kill her, but they saved her. And you you told me this, I think, or I read or somewhere. Basically, the head of HBO was a female at the time. And she was like, no, they want to save her. And I had no problem with them saving her, but it's like they wasted it because she... She did fall off. I will admit that. As the seasons went on, I think five, she came back. Before, like when she left Cheryl and started trying to be cheating McNulty-ish, that was kind of whack. But go ahead. But I meant like even the the most iconic moment for her after getting killed was that she dropped the dime on them. And that could have been bumped. That could have been like it was nothing inherent about her to do it because they didn't play on the fact that she was a woman they didn't play on the fact that her past or like they it just like, hey, I dropped the dime on you and what? So, like, nothing chemo specific was about that. And she started with so much promise. Like, if you go from season one. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Like, season one was her high point out of all this or whatever. Hmm, touche. Like, getting killed may be the most iconic thing. Getting shot may have been the most iconic thing that happened to her on this show. Hmm. So, what's the name of this category? You said under? Least valuable character. Least valuable. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. So, I would say my least valuable is um I can't even think of his name right now. The black cop that they never really developed. Um The one who looked like Cam New. The uh Oh with um S- S- Lieutenant Sivers. That's not his name, but it starts with an S. <laughs> you just be making Signer. Signer. Yes, you be making shit up. Yes. They never developed him into anything. He's in every season. He did quality work, but they it's like they intentionally kept him to never be able to move up. He should have really had some progression, and they didn't. So, 
me and you talked about possible spinoffs. Like one of the possible, maybe not spinoffs, but one of those spotlights where they do like a character. Well, it should have been him because that first season, I thought it was brilliant how they used him as a junkie or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like you could just see them sprint and they kept him around. So you kept, just, yeah, he was integral in each thing, but as a backseat driver, like he never got to actually drive. And the difference is between those guys, Lester McNulty, all of them, is that they were... <laughs> They didn't look like carnivores, right? Like, they didn't look like they win the game, right? Mm-hmm. Even Lister, when they caught um, Bird that time, when he hit him with the bottle, Lister looked like an old drunk, right? But, like, you think they would use Signal more because he looked like, even though we didn't talk about um, the Beavers and Butthead. Or, Carver. Yeah, Carver. And, um, you know I'm actually, hurt. You know who I'm surprised hasn't made your list? Who? Lieutenant Daniels. I'm surprised you didn't have him anywhere, but we'll, we'll keep going. Yeah, there's really nowhere for him to go, considering. But you were a big fan of him. I like his, but like not more than like not more than the people I said or whatever. You know what I'm saying? But I think that he would have been a good candidate for most improved. But I think that going back to the least valuable character and kind of like sitting on, he's the only one who looked like the bad guys, for lack of a better term, and like I'm surprised they didn't I think play that's on racial that. profiling. Well, he looked like the robbers and the cops and robbers. So like I, because he's black. I mean, no, just because he. I mean, we're talking about dope in the black city. So yes, because he's black. I'm black. I can say that. So because <laughs> if I would have said it, the digital Darren podcast would be canceled. Well, we don't. Good thing I wouldn't have said it. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> he looked like you know he looked like them. He looked like he could have been a member of the Barstair organization, the Marlowe organization, and like they never played up on that fact. Like I, he never developed. He literally stayed the same speed like the whole time. And I think that was a disservice to him. So again, this is one of those problems with shows that have so many good characters and good. Like, is somebody's gonna get left out, right? And like Mm -hmm. you said, even in our wars, Daniel's a good character. Like, it's certain characters who were great characters who, you know. We didn't even talk about Lester that much, and Lester was a corner store of the show. You know what I'm saying? It's just some of these people get thrown out or whatever. So, if we had a best cop, it would be Lester. I would give it to Lester. Oh, by far. And that leads us, since we're going down the best cop MVP or the most valuable character. To me, it's Bubbles because he was integral. I could say Stringer Bell because I love Stringer Bell. But I have to give it to Bubbles because he was a bum- he was like not in the forefront, but always so integral to every season. And I love Bubbles. So, best character to me, a most valuable character to me, is somebody who has to be in pretty much every season. So you can counsel Avon and Stringer. They are not a part of this. Go ahead. They have to be. Are so- you going to say McNulty? No. So, for me, it's between two people who in the majority of the seasons. Omar? You better say Omar. Lester and Omar. Okay. And the winner is Omar! Okay. Omar is the most... I can ride with you on that. Omar is the most iconic character for so many different reasons. Omar... So, like, not seeing the show before, I just knew Omar was a gay guy who robbed people. Oh, you know about him? Yeah, I mean, that's... You know, like I said, the dude talked... He used sports analogies with them or whatever. Like, when they were like... When you know, when they talk about something you've never seen before, they would say he's an Omar, and he was like, "Cause Omar, you've never seen the game." I mean, especially back then. I mean, this was twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah. So like Omar, and so I just knew he was gay. I didn't know. I thought he was special because he was gay, and that has nothing to do with why he was a special character. <laughs> no, I'm being dead serious. Like, I thought it was like, oh, he's are you gay. special because you're gay, or are you gay because you're special? But <laughs> however you want to look at it, but Omar. Every scene he came in, him and Clay Davis are the only two who dominated every I, time they I would agree with you there. They stuck on stage. Clay should get some sort of I know he was in year or whatever, but he should get an honorable mention. Yeah, Clay get it's a whole bunch of honorable mentions to go around. But again, Omar, 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 Omar. Stringer Bell, after he passed, Omar still had two more seasons of high level Omar shit. But I will say my boy Bubbles was in way more Parts of the storyline. He was. Than Omar. So, again, Omar is like Darth Vader in Star Wars. In the first Star Wars, how much time do you think Darth Vader was actually on screen? Not a lot. Like eight minutes. Yeah. But he dominated so the movie. Bubbles and, um, what's his name? Luke Skywalker? Nah, Bubbles would be Han, Han Solo. Uh, I like Han Solo, though. 
Like second tier character, but he's intertwined. Second tier. No, no. The story's about Luke, right? But Han Solo is intertwined okay, so in everything. Go with that. We're not giving bubbles. No second tier. No. Well, I mean, no, not, the story isn't about bubbles. No, sir. The bubbles. The story isn't about bubbles. Not he is Han Solo. It's actually the perfect one. No, no, no. He's Luke Skywalker. You're not. No, nah, he's not Luke Skywalker. Boy. He is. He's integral. Han Solo's integral. Like you don't have Star Wars. You thought like a second tier character. Well, not second tier. He wasn't the main character. Don't come for bubbles. He wasn't the main character. Don't come for bubbles. We're not going to come for him. But for me... He is a main character. Half of the show depends on him. How he does with the police. What he was doing on the streets. His little shenanigans with his little junky people. Now those didn't really matter to the show. They just gave you depth. He provided all the depth. He gave you a level. He gave he gave heart to the show. He was in more than Omar. He was. I won't... won't, Bubbles is probably the most... The character with the most screen time. So I'll say this. Omar might be a shot of tequila and Bubbles is water. And you need water to sustain. But it's nice to have that bing bang pow of that shot of tequila. But you need water. I would agree with that. Bubbles is way more. He has way more screen time. He gives the show a certain depth, right? A certain, like Bubbles makes you care almost or whatever. Whereas Omar is just fun. Omar, so Omar is... The girl you one night stand. Bubbles is the girl you wife. Or the- well, you're speaking to the wife, goddammit. So why are you so strung up on this one night stand? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But ultimately for you, Bubbles for me, Omar. Okay. And this was the Wire Awards. Did you enjoy the awards? I did. This was actually a very fun podcast. I enjoyed it. I hope we continue with the podcast. Obviously, we can't do it on the wire, but we need to do better. With us sharing our thoughts and what's going on in our life and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so all our Patreon listeners, this is to you and this is a Patreon exclusive podcast. Once a month, we're going to try to do this once a month where we talk about what's going on in our lives, blah, blah, this, blah, blah, that. If you have any questions, shoot us any questions. And it's just good for us as a as a couple. So, like, you know, as we mature, we can go back and say, hey, what, hey, what was going on in our lives then and get some good thoughts or whatever. So, we're going to try to do that once. We're also going to try to do some more. Um, so... We try to watch a show as a couple. What show are we watching right now, Darren, that you picked? <laughs> the Magicians. <laughs> I bailed out. She's still going. I'm, I haven't bailed out. I just peek in and peek out. But I think we should do one on Bridgerton. So I would like to say, can the Patreons get like a sneak peek, but at, at some point this become a regular podcast? Because I really like this one. And it shouldn't just be for the people. Who no, no. Pay. So like we can. So what normally happens is we. So our Patreon podcast follows the two groups. It follows the early access, meaning that it's going to go on the main site at some point or exclusives. This can be an early access. Thank you. Well, like at some point it'll go on the main site. All right. Is that fine with you? That works. All right. Thank you guys for listening. This has been DigitalDaring.com. Make sure to tell a friend, to tell a friend, to tell a friend, to tell a friend. And then tell a friend.